Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made three low-budget feature films of varying success, and I went to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length projects on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the kinds of conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Opportunity is tremendous. You know, class in Newcomb High is such a classic. And I can't tell my grandkids, hey, you know, I could have been in the remake of Class in Newcomb High, but I was worried about money. Um, I'm just making it happen. Like, I'm subletting my room on, you know, getting people to, like, live in my room. And, you know, sometimes when something speaks to you as an artist, you can't really worry about the money. You just got to figure out that it's all going to be okay. And it usually works out that way. I'd work for, I'd, Floyd did another hundred movies and wanted me to work on it for free. I'd come, I'd find my way down here or wherever it is and I'd do it for free. I'd do it all, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I'd do it all over again. And it's cool because, you know, no one's getting paid. No one, and no one really has that, fuck you, I don't care, I'm not getting paid attitude, you know? Hey man, I'm talking to uh, Jeff Torelli. Um, we've, he's invited me on an adventure. Jeff and I went to uh, Emerson together. We both worked as staff at Emerson. Um, and we, we're, we're actually, if you've enjoyed any of our films up to this point, it's looking like the next feature is me and Jeff. Uh, he's going to be doing some writing uh, and I'm going to be doing the directing. And yeah, it's kind of the start of a creative relationship. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, like Frankie said, we both, we both went to Emerson and, um, you know, learned, learned a lot, had a good time, but kind of, had had different tastes, I think, than 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 some other people. And as we started talking, actually, as we were graduating, we kind of realized that we were interested in a lot of the same things. Um, so I've been working on a movie that, if you know Frankie, you would know would be of a of great interest to him. Uh, for the last two years, I've been doing a documentary called "Movies of the Future" with Lloyd Kaufman, which is about uh, Lloyd Kaufman, the uh, legendary uh, underground film director of trauma fame. Uh, Lloyd has been really, really um, supportive of the whole thing, and uh, I got the chance. Lloyd is now shooting Return to Newcomb High. He got funding for it. If you haven't seen Class of Newcomb High, please just go. Uh, and so Frankie was nice enough to come with me, uh, bring some of his equipment, and we, we came down here to Niagara Falls where we spent – we got in last night, and we spent all of today shooting, and we got to see a man on fire. <laughs> so let's, let's rewind the clocks to, uh, to an earlier time, a simpler time, <clears throat> when we were children. Now, you're a little older than me, mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't – it seems that age is irrelevant when it comes to this because we met a lot of young people on today's set. Yeah. They're much younger than us who had the exact same experience across the board, and that's kind of what makes the documentary interesting. Is that like what's the common thread? What the fuck is it about these movies about breast explosions? And so, for anybody who doesn't know, catch you up. Troma, low budget independent film company founded by this uh, this <laughs> this little Jew. No, um, this this little guy named Lloyd Kaufman, who uh, you know, all of the films are made on on a shoestring budget. Well, they're they're advertised as having been made on a shoestring budget, but in the eighties when they could actually get distribution deals on TV and whatnot, and it, you know. When VHS had first come out, the budgets were still. They made like a war movie at one point. Yeah, they made this movie called Troma's War, which was like, you know, cost five hundred thousand dollars, and it still had all the same content that their fans had grown to love, like a a, a politician with the con conjoined heads and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, but I think what what you know, the, everybody's first experience with this company is like I rented something I didn't know. Uh, it was an accident. Yeah. I, I went home in a brown bag with a trauma movie accidentally. Yeah. I popped it in. I was with my best friend on a sleepover. We both were like, what the fuck is this? Right. The friend went home not caring, and you stayed up trying to figure out what this trauma thing was. Right. And it, and it, and it changed your life in, in a way that you didn't – that you maybe not have even realized at the moment. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that whole sleepover story, and everyone has that – that uh, who, who's a trauma fan? That when I first saw it, um, 
and you know you explained it pretty well. They're they they're they're unapologetically low budget, even when they have a budget. So yes. it's become part of the aesthetic. Yes, uh, you know they they want you to know that that is a melon and not a guy's head being run over by a car because it's kind of funny, right? Right. Um, and it, maybe when they started out as a company and they were kind of a little more Roger Corman where they were like, well, maybe we can produce right. films quickly and turn a, a profit. And it was those first few mistakes that got them fans that yeah. they said, oh, wait a minute. We don't have to try to make it look real. The fans like that it looks fake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, it's kind of, um, you know, hindsight to say, oh, well, they did this from the beginning. No, and, and Troma actually started off doing these kind of – Softcore. I mean, uh, think about Porky's, but with lower production yeah. values. Yeah, you know that they, they were doing these uh, well, sex comedies. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, and you know they weren't they weren't that great. And then he they tried uh, the Toxic Avenger, which was funny meant and to be a horror film, right? Yeah, turned into a superhero movie, right? Only kind of in post. Where <laughs> they're like, I guess it's sort of a superhero movie where he kills people. Yeah. Well, and and it was supposed to be it, it is supposed to be a satire. There's a yes. lot of things that in trauma when you talk to Lloyd especially, he'll he'll kind of build up and say, "Well, I'm taking a political stand on this." And Sometimes he very much is, so I, I don't mean to say that he's. Oh, he has, he has convicted politics. He does, but, but 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 to but to try to pass off spraying blood and it, yeah. some of it's a stretch. Is all I'm saying, and that, that's a fan saying. Exactly, that. that's someone who loves. And you know why not? Because the, and when we were talking to many, and I don't want to say kids about someone who's 19 or 20, but I'm I'm 35, and so for me, yeah, it's like you. I I remember when I was 19. They're they're they kept saying about the the intelligence and the uh, the political commentary, yeah. and y yeah, it, it sure is, and especially when 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 you're 14 and when you're 15, it may be a little hamfisted, it may be a little silly looking back on it, but it's really subversive and important to you when you're that age. You know, and I believe me, I still have a non-ironic great love for that. But uh, you know, it's it's that kind of thing that gets you motivated when you're when you're that age. You know, kind of like like some some punk music that that, that I found. It's it's cool. It's subversive. It's fun. It's how would you relate it to music? Because I feel like there's a total relationship there. I, I have I've said this a lot. With independent band and independent film. Yeah, and you know, I'm someone who I, I before I became a filmmaker for most of my life I was a musician. You know, I started playing drums when I was 11 or 12, and I was in a band every day of my life from the time I was 12 until about 31, 32. And so it's weird for me to know because I, I stopped playing music about four or five years ago. And so for me, it's weird to be like, oh, I'm a filmmaker now, not a musician. So I always see things in those in in, in those terms. And, um, you know, growing up, I loved punk. I loved early stuff. I loved the, the Ramones. I loved the Misfits. I loved the Meat Men. And there were these bands that were either so simplistic and, you know, not, not this high quality sounding, you know, you, you, it's, you're not listening to a Yes record here. You're listening to uh, kind of low quality, but there were subversive elements to the lyrics and there was a subversive element to the music in itself when it came out. It's lo-fi and something that Frankie and I have been talking a lot about, some things that people say about the Ramones, why the Ramones were a revolutionary band was because in the 70s there were these huge super groups and there was, there was these, you know, um, these, these prog rock bands who had 20-minute solos and just things that went on forever. And the Ramones came out and they had four chord songs that lasted two and a half minutes and so many people said to themselves, wait, I can just start a band? I can just do that. The Clash started because they heard the Ramones. They said, and you know, Joe Strummer always said that. We saw him and said, wait, 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 we can do that. And it's not that the Ramones weren't brilliant, because I, I can go on for 12 podcasts about why I think the Ramones are brilliant. But it's that same aesthetic with trauma, where so many people say, I feel this way, Frankie feels this way. If you read um, Make Your Own Damn Movie by Lloyd Kaufman, the uh, introduction is by um, the South Park guys. and Trey Parker. Yeah, yeah, and Matt Stone. And Trey Parker says the same thing. When I saw The Toxic Avenger, I said, wait a minute. I can just pick up a camera and make a movie? I have to tell you, I, I never it never occurred to me that to say that could be interpreted as insulting. Yes. Because I, as a guy who's been making movies for all this time and whenever I've had anybody come up to me and be like, hey, you know, when I saw your thing, it doesn't happen very often. I'm not blowing myself. But, <laughs> but when people come up to me and are like, I saw your movie and it kind of made me want to go try because it looked like you were having a lot of fun. I was like, you just paid me the highest compliment. Right. I take that as the highest compliment. Today we're on the set of, uh, of Return to Newcomb High where we're trying to stay out of everybody's way while capturing some footage for Jeff's documentary. And there's this very earnest, very sincere, very nice uh, Icelandic kid. 
He's probably early 20s. He got into trauma like most at a very early age, which is by, funny, by the way, because it's like if 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 you <laughs> I guess it's like tobacco, like catch them yeah. while they're young or something yeah. <laughs> like that. Um, it's supposedly this adult content when like right. all the fans get caught at age like 10. But he 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 uh he follows trauma to the ends of the earth. He scraps money together and then he's like, okay, good, I can do it. I can go out there. So we started talking about. We were just kind of you know they were between takes or they were between setups, and we were, we were saying exactly what Jeff was just saying. Like, isn't it great that this makes people want to that Lloyd makes people want to go give this a shot themselves? And he was like, it's not that it made me feel like I could. It's that I want to make that movie. Yeah. And we were like. Yeah, well, yeah, that too. And we were trying to kind of be nice. And, and he was like, no, no, no. I hate it when anybody says it's so bad, it's good. What do you mean it's so bad, it's good? Right. It's great. And it just is great. And he, he it seemed like he took that as an insult. He, he did. And he was also missing because I, I certainly don't think that I, – I have this problem with people who enjoy things ironically. I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of uh, 50s sci-fi. And it's not the bad acting, the bad uh, – you know, what people consider bad special effects – I legitimately like it, and I'm still. I, I grew up scared of the of them and the giant ant movies, you know, and and those kind of things. So I don't like. Oh well, it's so bad, it's good. I mean, of course, we all have one or two of those, but it, I think that yeah, he misinterpreted it because that's not what I'm saying. I have a sincere love in my heart for what trauma did for me when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I've said to Lloyd Kaufman himself, and when I've been you know interviewing him working this, I'm like, you know, I can't even really get through a. A tr- most trauma movies these days, and he just kind of shrugs and says, "Yeah, you know." I mean, I think he kind of feels the same way. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So, so that's not what we were saying. But it was. It took me a, a, a step back in my head because he, no, he what he was saying was, "This is the movie I want to make." Yeah, which. I don't think I ever really felt that exact way. I'm no. not gonna. I, I never was like, I'm gonna go make the Toxic Avenger. All it said to me was that you know the same way that the the and you know the, that the Ramones did. And by the way, no, I couldn't have been the Ramones, and no one else really can be the Ramones. But like, okay, we can pick up a guitar, we can pick up a camera, we can. So he's, and I think he's at that age where he's very protective. Well, I, I was, <clears throat> I was like, all right, well, how do I rephrase this for him to understand my meaning and understand yeah. that it's a compliment? And I, the way I came up with it was like, all right. Would you agree that most trauma fans are are aspiring filmmakers? Yeah. Are there bands? Would you say that like most of their fans are musicians? Right. Like there probably are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I would say that uh, my guess would be that those bands are enablers, or they're somehow they're enabling. Well, it, you know, and the, actually, it's different for. Well, I guess it would be the same because there, there, you know, there's tons of Stanley Kubrick wannabes, but they're very different than the Lloyd Kaufman wannabes. Yeah. And you know, I, we had the same conversation about about Kubrick on the way back, where I said I never looked at a Kubrick movie and said, "Hey, I could do that." Right. I don't have the. I, there's so many things I don't have. That doesn't mean that I can't be a filmmaker. So it's 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 a different thing. And I think there's there's uh, you know musician bands like uh, I think of Dream Theater, which I can't stand, and because I don't think they can write a song to save their life, but they're all amazing musicians. Yeah. So there's a certain kind of musician who likes dream theater. Then there's a certain kind of person who saw the Ramones and said, I can do that. And it's a lot different because people there, there's there, there are polar opposites because one is a focus on virtuosity and the other is kind of saying, you know, virtuosity is kind of elite, you know, it's kind of elitism is kind of, it'd be as though, like, let's say that you were into theater and you only ever saw spectacle stage shows. Sure. You only ever saw Phantom. You only ever yeah. saw King and I. And then somebody showed you Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. That's just it's just dialogue. And you were like, oh, that a play can be that. Yeah. It's the it's the concept mm-hmm. of like, oh, I didn't even know that was allowed. Right. Right. I didn't right. know that was. Against the rule, that wasn't against the rules. Well, and in that you just ran with it. And actually, that's a really good good example too, because one takes this much money yeah. to set up and to make. Where it's like Phantom of the Opera, when I have to bring a chandelier down right. onto the stage, right. and Virginia Woolf, it's like I've got some old furniture, but but of course the the, the difference here is that you have to have some really fucking great actors in order. Yeah, but, yeah. But it's but suddenly you're like, well, maybe I can work with those actors yeah. and maybe that doesn't cost money. Mm-hmm. And the thing about filmmaking is that filmmaking isn't always the most... <laughs> the, I think the reason, that, at least for me, that uh, trauma has played an important part, and, and, and I, I would say also the Kevin Smiths and, and the Richard Linklaters, mm-hmm. um, it, it, is that 
filmmaking just by its nature is already so off-putting because yeah. it already looks like there's so much money and talent and technical expertise and equipment and locations and all this shit just to express yourself, just to get that idea on a screen yeah. out of a PDF and onto a screen. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that was the one thing that I, I found that there's this, there's a slight difference in that you can get more lo-fi with music than I can with film because there's still, you know, one, one one of the favorite bands I was ever in was this three piece, and I, you know, I till you know twelve days, twelve years later, thirteen actually, God, I don't know. Anyway, well over a decade later, I listened to it and I'm like, okay, we had three microphones and a four track, and we played it live, and we, you know, one mic over the drums, one one mic on the bass, and one mic on the guitar, and and we got the sound we wanted, and it's a very rudimental sound, but it's like, man, that sounds great. I really like that. There's a certain amount of just a bit more of equipment you need that and to make a movie, and there's more people you need to make a movie. But this also brings up point one of your favorite subjects is exactly how much of that do you need? Yeah, and I don't know why, but I, I've I've dedicated. <laughs> I think sometimes I feel like I've gone on a similar journey as Lloyd has, which is like you started off going like, "Well, I want to make a movie," and then it turned into an ideological thing. It turned into yeah. like a. Like, well, you know, since I, I've, <laughs> I either don't have the talent or I don't have the money, right. well, then I need to make it honorable in this other way. And I think I've done that too, which is like, I, I really enjoy, I, I get a lot of pride out of it. Maybe it makes me a low budget snob if that could even be a real thing. No, no, it is. It's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're guilty of it yet, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but basically like I, I love dispelling the idea I love dispelling preconceptions of what it has to be, how much money you have to spend, ways you have to act while on a set. That's a big thing. I mean, you know, it, it's you do what you know. You're 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 the ace bottle washer, head cook. You know, yeah. I think that's really important in a lot of things, and I, I think sometimes you see the compartmentalization of of this where you're like. Why are you trying to act like this bigger structure? It's kind of I, I played a played a show many years ago, and it was this you know nowhere club in New Hampshire, and and we were you know I don't know we were in our like mid to late twenties, but then there was this like fifteen sixteen year old punk band whose mom had dropped them off in the SUV, and uh, they had a manager, and he was their age, and he had like a tie and everything. These guys aren't fucking around. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, but also it was like, why do you like? Why do you need to do that, man? Right. He really wanted to be the Malcolm McLaren. He had a tie, but there was a question mark drawn on it and everything. And and it was kind of like – and so we had driven from Massachusetts, and we all have a, a apartments and bills to pay and loans and stuff like that. And so we're talking to the guy after the show, and, and the guy who owns the club, we're like, look, we were guaranteed this money and blah, blah, blah. And the kid in the tie comes up to us and goes, it's not about the money, man. <laughs> Like, we need what? gas to get out of here. Like, <laughs> so it, kind of getting off topic, but I thought that that was funny because, and it's the same thing with film where it's like, we, we have hardly any budget, but we need to structure and we need to have this yes. and this and this. And it's like, well, I, I've, the thing that I've always loved about filmmaking, um, and even before I did it and I had friends who mm -hmm. did it. And one of my friends, Nathan, who I just, I love to death. He's made so many great fun movies that don't take themselves seriously. He has that mentality of, I've got a helmet, you've got a sword, let's have a war. You know, like, what can we get? Where it's, it's every time I've ever worked on any of his movies, it's been like I was a kid again, and like, what do you have in your garage? And what do you have in your garage? Total lack of pretense. The guy realizes, unlike most of us, that we're just fucking playing pretend. Hey, you know, and, and distracting ourselves from the fact that we're going to die someday. <laughs> no, and it's really true. And he said something to, to that effect, and I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but it was like, don't you get it? We, we, we keep making movies so we don't have to grow up so we can have fun so we can play in the mud. Yeah. You know, it's pretty much what he was it's saying. It's kind of like how, like, you know how prostitution is, is, is illegal? <laughs> how did I know you're going to take it there? <laughs> if there's no camera, it's illegal. You've had a camera, it's pornography, and yeah. now it's legal. It's kind of the same way with make-believe. It's like it's illegal as an adult until you have a camera, and now it's okay because you're, like, doing something. Yeah, exactly. Now, now you're doing something. And, you know, I, I should note, too, that, you know, uh, Nathan is a... Nathan is a um, is a great color corrector. He's a great editor. He makes a decent living doing that. But he's like... But when us. he has free time. Well, and it's not just free time. I mean, you and I have, again, had this discussion where it's like, you kind of feel like you're drying up when you're not doing anything. Yes. If you haven't worked on something... In a, That's in a why we're sitting in front of mics right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We just had a full day of shooting and like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really respect that about people. And he's not pretentious. He doesn't have that... 
this is going to be the biggest thing in the world and I have to come up with this amount of money and this is going to be the next. No, it's because he has to do it. He has no other choice because he's going to be miserable if he doesn't do it. Yeah. You know, and I, I love that when, when I when I know people who are like that about music, about art, about whatever, it's like you're doing it for the right reasons. man. I, I you know, I'm going back and, and, and learning a lot about my my young self by making this uh, this I need to lose 10 pounds Blu-ray. Um, our worst movie, our best Blu-ray. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm remembering, you know, the sort of the sense memory of what it felt like and what it need and what needed to happen when we were making that movie. And I'm like, you know, it went on for, you know, from conception to completion, six years, but every year that passed was like, if I don't make this movie, I will die. Yeah. I will fucking die if I don't make this movie. And I never, I haven't felt that way since that movie. Yeah. Like I, I, I do feel, I continue to feel a burning need to create and I do that. Mm-hmm. But I, like if somebody was like, you can't do any of this shit anymore, I wouldn't be like, well then throw me off a cliff. I'd be right, like, right. well, I'll just fuck my wife instead then. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly true. But, um, but let's, let's rewind a little bit and yeah. talk about, um, <clears throat> uh, so, so what, you know, we, we, we obviously got into trauma for similar reasons in similar right. ways like everybody else. Um, but why this documentary? What kind of got you into that? And this and when did it all kind of start? A few years ago? Yeah, yeah. So I, I um I started about two years ago, a little over that, and it's taking too long, but on the same time I've been working full time. I just finished my MFA, so I was working full time, <laughs> going to school full time. At least those are the excuses I'm telling myself. Not because I haven't worked hard on it, but I've just I feel guilty that it's not done yet. You know, like I really keep, I want it. uh, But anyway, that aside, you're kind of judging yourself. Yeah, I am because, uh, you know, I, 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 and I actually feel that this trip is, is one of the linchpins because I've been making a movie about a, about a, uh, a movie maker and I, he hasn't made a movie since I've started this. Mm -hmm. So I finally have this, this footage of him making this movie. Um, you know, in the meantime, I've made another movie. I've done, done other things, but, um, it started for me because I made a I made a documentary a while ago called Monsters of the Atomic Age, which was about um, nuclear fears in uh, post World War II America and how those fears showed up in those great fifties uh, you know uh, monster movies that I love. So it was part historical, it was part it was this labor love, and for me, it's what other people have been like. Oh well, it's quirky. It's well, no, it's the things that I'm interested in. So. I, I, after that, I was trying to think of something else I wanted to do. And I thought about those first experiences with trauma and like, yeah, those really did have a big impact on me. And I read, uh, you know, Lloyd's books, especially make your own damn movie, which I think he has written it. So you can make them any kind of movie. You don't have to make a trauma movie. And I was like, this is great. And Lloyd also raises a question that I love that I think about all the time is art versus commerce, which is sort of the, you know, you'll hear about the movie Frankie and I are going to make, uh, you know, down the line, but that, that's uh that's something big for me where it's like you know what's the what's the line there what do you do for money what do you do for art uh where's the line blurred what's this stupid i i mean for me a stupid idea of a sell out you know i don't think i i think that's a very limited amount of people and it's a word that's used for tons of them mm-hmm. um so i and i i always thought that trauma was accessible but i also thought like so he's this guy who's been doing this for 30 years 30 plus years you know almost what did he start in the late yeah, 60s? Almost going on 40. Yeah, going on 40 years. And it's never made him rich. And he barely breaks even with the stuff that he's doing now. So for me, the initial question was, why does this guy start keep doing this? And a little background on Lloyd Kaufman. He went to Yale. He speaks two languages. You know, he could have gone out and done a lot. He's a very intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he And he, he's... he's, he's uh, he was going to be in the Peace Corps, which he did for a while. He was going to uh, he was doing uh, Chinese studies, so he speaks some Chinese. He speaks French. He speaks English, and uh, as he puts it, he was like, "And then I had a roommate introduce me to movies, and my life went downhill, and I was fucked forever." That's pretty much what he said. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Aren't we all? Yeah. And so, when you talk to Lloyd, he has a very self deprecating nature but more than that this like i have ruined everything i mean he'll and a lot of it some of it is an affectation i mean there's a lloyd kaufman character who's part carnival barker and part willie loman yes you know like that that's that's kind of his persona but there's a lot of truth in it he does feel that way in a little bit like god why am you know i'm still doing this huh yeah 
and he does love it. So, so I, because I, tra- trauma is actually something that, like Rocky Horror, yeah, like um, a lot of music, like you go through phases. It's something you kind of grow out of. Yeah, it, it's true, you know, and 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 it's funny because in a way, when we talk about trauma now, it's this concept and it's this influence that it had on us early on, and it's not. We're not gonna. We're not about to get together and go watch four trauma yeah. movies in a row. No, I haven't watched one in years, and yeah. and, and and it's yeah. I I couldn't even citing specific jokes would be difficult. And yeah. uh, it's not about that. It's about the greater conversation. Yeah. That he's kind of kicked off. So so I I I thought about it for a while, and then um I I remembered a meeting I had with Lloyd Kaufman, uh, when gosh I'm trying to remember when this was. Anyway, suffice to say, it was a while ago. It was over a decade ago, um, and I was playing in a band at the time called the Piss Cubes. Charming name. (laughs) And it was a trio. It was my good friend Johnny and my good friend Rattlesnake. And uh, we were playing a show on a Friday night at O'Brien's in Alston. And we'd put the show together, and uh, it was us and... I forget the other bands. I think Penis Flytrap was one of them. Um, so yeah, <laughs> they outdid you. Yeah, yeah, they really, they really. Did. <laughs> I didn't think it was possible with piss cubes, but <laughs> yeah, in the unclever department. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we get there, and we we we, we got there early because uh, Rattlesnake had set up the show. And I'm sitting at the bar, and I'm having a beer with him. And my back is to the door, and Rattlesnake's kind of talking to me. And I'm talking, and I notice he's just looking over my shoulder, and that's it. And he's he's just totally tuned me out. I'm like. I'm sorry, am I boring you? And without really missing a beat, he goes, that's the Toxic Avenger. And I turn around, and the Toxic Avenger is walking in. And behind him is Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD. And if you're not familiar with trauma films, these are two of their flagship characters that they've made these movies about. Sure enough, a man dressed as the Toxic Avenger, complete with melted face and everything, had a mask on, and a guy in full Kabuki makeup are walking in. And we're, what, okay? And then this short guy in this powder blue suit with a bow tie comes in and says, Lloyd Kaufman, trauma, Lloyd Kaufman, trauma. And he, like he's running for mayor, just oh, like glad handing the room. And he goes off and he talks to the guy who's running the place. And before I know it, our show has become a trauma party. <laughs> so what happened was we find out that um, uh, Citizen Toxie is premiering at the Coolidge Corner Theater. The and fourth he- Toxic Avenger. Yeah, movie. sorry. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, for those playing along at home, the fourth Toxic <laughs> Avenger movie, Citizen Toxie. Yeah. And it's playing at the Coolidge Corner Theater, which is, you know, down Harvard Ave. And um, he, and to this day, he doesn't even really remember this. I bring it up and, and he's like, well, it sounds like something I do. But so all I can think of is either someone knew us or he looked in a, in a newspaper or whatever, wherever the listing was and said, oh, Piss cubes, penis flytrap. These people must like trauma. Yeah, and of course he was fucking right. Yeah. So he's taken over our Brilliant. our our show out of nowhere, and um. So when he has the Toxic Avenger and Sergeant Kabuki Man and YPD, he basically has anyone around him put on the Toxie mask. There's no Toxic Avenger. It's just whoever is there at the yes, time. Yes. And he usually tries to find a robust, muscular man to play a uh, Toxic Avenger, which in this case was true. So Lloyd leaves for a little bit. And the first band plays, and Sergeant Kabuki Man is putting them down, just drinking his little heart out. And um, so after the first band plays, Toxic Avenger gets up on stage, and while the other bands are putting up their stuff, he has a um, punch Toxie in the stomach contest. Now, there were no rules, and there was no prizes, but there were all these little punk rockers lined up, who he was tensing up his his stomach muscles and punching him in the stomach. And they were actually, it was actually like real punches? Oh, yeah. Like he was letting them, and because he, he was drinking too. So then the next band plays. And now the Toxic Avenger has had a few more. And now the contest is get punched in the stomach by the Toxic Avenger. Oh, fuck. And this line, albeit it is shorter, but there's still people in line for this. So there's these like 90-pound little emo punk rocker kids getting punched in the stomach by this muscular guy flying across the stage. And at this point, Lloyd comes in. And uh, Lloyd, and I'm like, I know who he is because I know his movies. And I'm like, hey, man, like, is this cool? And he's like, kids love Toxie. The kids love Toxie. <laughs> He's punching them in the stomach. He's probably turning away from you as he's talking. Yeah, yeah, really. Like he, he doesn't want to. So, and he's gone again. Yeah. And then we're we're headlining, and we get up and we play. And by this time, Sergeant Kabuki Man is fucking piss drunk, just out of his head. 
He's slurring. He's looking down women's shirts. He's like, I mean, just the ultimate creepy, gross, drunk guy. But also, he's in kabuki makeup and full costume. <laughs> so we play a few songs, and then uh, he gets up on. And if you've ever been to O'Brien's, at least the old one, when I say stage, I'm being extremely generous. It's about you know the the floor goes up about four inches. <laughs> Small platform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> if that. And so he he. He gets up on stage and he's trying to grab the microphone and my, my guitarist is telling him to get the fuck off stage and he grabs the microphone and he and, uh, you know, it's still not stand and he says, I got some things to say and Rattlesnake's still screaming at him, get the fuck out of here and he turns to him and goes, you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for us. And I'm like <laughs> thinking like, wait a minute, you took over our show. Yeah, really. So then Rattlesnake kicks him dead in the ass and he flies off the little four inch stage and falls flat on his face. Oh God. And then turns around like he's going to do something about it. And Rattlesnake's already taken off his guitar. Like, no, I'm going to kick your ass. And then Sergeant Kabuki man ran to the back of the club. (laughs) And we finished our set. And from that day on every time, like it would just be random. We, one of us would turn to Rattlesnake and be like, remember that time you kicked Sergeant Kabuki man's ass? Like, remember that time? (laughs) Eventually Lloyd came back and I found many years later that, um, Sergeant Kabuki, they, that that trauma was barred from Coolidge Corner Theater because oh, wow. Sergeant Kabuki Man puked from the back row like two like projectile vomited <laughs> on people, and he was like, "Yeah, we we couldn't go back. They wouldn't let us go back. That was it for for years." The kids love talking. The kids love talking. <laughs> so like that was my introduction to Lloyd Kaufman, and when I started thinking about the documentary, I was like. He took over our show and we liked it. Yeah. Like we were excited about it. And you know, they had little, little, they were giving away VHS tapes and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But wow, like who has the guts to do that? Yeah. And so that's when I, that's when I got in touch with him after that and everything. But like that opening, it was so bizarre. And it was such, I love telling that story because I tell people that and they're like, that's really bizarre. And like, Shit like that doesn't happen every day. And you're like, no, no, but it happened to me. And it was it's, I mean, awesome. it's, a, it's a company that squeaked by yeah. by doing that. Exactly. <laughs> it's just by doing stupid shit and, and getting noticed. And yeah, there is that great YouTube clip that, that you can find of him on a some 80s talk show getting jeered. And, and it's just all good. And it, it, you know, that's in your trailer, too. Yeah, Morton Downey Jr. if it's a show. Yeah, it was Morton Downey Jr. That's right. Um, yeah, for me, it was, uh, it was actually South Park that kind of had gotten me interested in like, oh, construction paper animation? Didn't know that was allowed. And then that led to Cannibal the Musical, which was one of Trey Parker's first movies, which had spots on it. And I, it, we had rented it at a at a birthday party sleepover. I was 13. The, the, uh, the, the, what do you call it? The tube TV was calibrated wrong. And all of the, the, they had trauma spots at the top. And one of them was Tromeo and Juliet. And so suddenly all the all the blood in it is orange, which makes it even weirder. And we're all cracking up laughing, going like, what did you – you know, everybody's asking me, like, what did you make us rent? And I'm like, I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like – there's popcorn coming out of a pregnant woman's stomach. And now I've, I've – I'm so like steeped in – in subversive content that just saying that doesn't even affect me. But at the time, right. it's like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And then I – at the very, very end of Cannibal, after the credits have rolled, it's all done with – there's this very cheesy logo that came on with this horrible solar flare. And it was like trauma films of the future. And it looked to me like films from the fucking past. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's, yeah, Lloyd Kaufman pops on. He's like, hey, it's me, Lloyd Kaufman. And I'm like, who the fuck is Lloyd Kaufman? <laughs> now, <clears throat> we, of course, know him now. But like, if you right. think about like, who is this? Like, like I, I should care. Like, you yeah, know, like, like, what, like my Indiana Jones VHS doesn't end <laughs> with Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> Being like, buy my book, kids, <laughs> and uh, and then he had he had this big giant fat fuck with him, um, who was like, uh, "Hi, I'm Michael Hers, who who was is the co-founder of the company." It wasn't Michael Hers at all. It's just that the co-founder doesn't ever want to appear on screen, so he hires a giant fat man to play him. He's well, actually, like, Lloyd hired him because yes. he wouldn't do it. Yes, Michael Hers is actually I, he's that's a, what I meant. Yeah. He's a very physically imposing guy. He's in extremely great shape. He's the same age as Lloyd. Yeah, and Lloyd is getting tired. He's he's looking a little tired. He's a, he's a shorter guy. Michael Hers is this big, extremely nice guy. I mean, but very very to the point. I I would liken him to a mafioso, like. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Don't do that. But he's got those broad shoulders and that thick neck that tells you don't fuck with yeah, him. Yeah, like, okay, hers. Yeah, yeah. okay. But so 
uh, Lloyd told me in one of his interviews, he's like, he refused to be in these videos. So I found the most out of shape guy I could yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and said, mm-hmm. I'm Michael Hurst. That's so awesome. Like, Go on. But I remember um, it was, yeah, so I, I was still into Trey and I hadn't seen Orgasmo yet. And, um, and my friend John, who was six years older than me. So now if I'm f- now 14 and he's 20, that's kind of a, like, that's a huge age gap. But yet we were friends and he would drive me around and stuff. And, and he was like, uh, hey, I order things off Amazon. You want anything <laughs> that like you can't buy on your own? And I was like, yes, orgasmo. He's like, okay, which makes him fucking irresponsible. Fuck you, John, if you're listening to this. <laughs> I was a kid, damn it. Um, I could have been something if you had bought me <laughs> orgasmo. <laughs> yeah. And then he was like, anything else? And I was like, yeah. There was this book that some Jew at the end of a tape was trying to get me to buy. And he's like, what is it? I was like, "Uh, all I need to know about filmmaking I learned from the Toxic Avenger. And I didn't even know what a Toxic Avenger was. And so I literally, I read the book not knowing the movies. Right. And so so my first introduction was, again, not like, I had seen Cannibal and I had seen The Spots. But it's not like I had seen the Toxic Avenger first or anything like that. Instead, what I did was I read about... Like, uh, you know, we make our crew eat cold cheese sandwiches and shit in paper bags. And I was like, you do? Why do you do that? And, <laughs> you know, when you're young and impressionable, and impressionable, suddenly all this anti-Hollywood talk, all of this, you know, we do it for the love. We don't, we do it for the art and uh, <laughs> kind of masquerading the, the grotesque and the absurd as art. I was totally on board with that. I'm still on board with that. <clears throat> um it doesn't have to be highfalutin to be art, goddammit. Um, yeah, I just – it became my my first film school really and, and uh, I continued to buy the books. I then started getting the VHSs for Christmas. I started asking them for Christmas. So like I, I remember opening Tromeo and Juliet, the VHS, on Christmas morning and my parents were like, can I see that? What did we buy for you exactly? <laughs> never mind. And it was like uh, all the nipple piercings that Shakespeare never gave you and they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> and my parents are not like – you know, they're so not into it. So – um. Yeah, and then, um, you know, I, st- I, I, my magnum opus at the time was I'm going to make a feature-length film, and it didn't matter what the fuck the content was. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered. You're going to get to 120 minutes, goddammit. Yes, that's <laughs> all that mattered. And, and, and as I got older, I started to actually refine my abilities, and, and the final cut ended up being something pretty watchable as opposed to what it would have been had I finished it quicker. <clears throat> but the the dream was, and I remember, you know, going to film school and I, I was surrounded by people who were like, uh, you know, we got to get our movie in front of CAA or we got to get our movie in front of like these casting agencies or these writing agencies. And we, I have this connection. You have that connection. My parents know this guy. And I was just like, fuck all your connections. Does anyone know Lloyd Kaufman? And they're like, <laughs> who's that? <laughs> oh, they knew Trump. He can take me straight to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I want to go straight to the bottom. Um, but they, they knew who he was and I, I, I suffered like, you know, years of, of ridicule for like, Oh, Frankie loves his trauma. And I was like, well, I don't really know what you're making fun of exactly, but yes, I do. No. Um, and then I, uh, sure enough, I ended up getting into the trauma dance film festival, which is their kind of off, off, uh, uh, you know, Sundance festival. And I met Lloyd for the first time there and I had the DVD in hand. I remember and he walked in and, and, and looks exactly like he does yep. on, on everything and, I just kind of went it, 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 to make a long story short, very generous, very immature with his humor. Yeah. Like he, he hosted a panel that night of, uh, other filmmakers and other, like, like esteemed guests at trauma dance. And he couldn't just not make the dick jokes yeah, when they came not. up. And I just, yeah. I love that about him. And uh, yeah, when Jeff was like, uh, want to come for an adventure to Niagara Falls, it was, my, my first reaction was like, that sounds like a pain to get like time off of work and stuff. And then I was just like, I got to You got to honor your 15 year old self. Absolutely. <laughs> he would, he would kill you for not going. I, I, I think I said this to an email, uh, in an email to you where it was like, if I went back in time and found my 14 year old self and said, all right, when you're in your thirties, you're going to be making a movie. You're going to be hanging out with Lloyd Kaufman all the time. You're going to interview Roger Corman and Stan Lee. I would have been like, so I'm king of the universe. So I'm a billionaire, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that I have a rocket brilliant. car. <laughs> like I mean, it's it's so funny to think about. Like like I would have thought that meant success. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I, I've arrived yeah, somehow. Yeah. You were handed some golden key. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now like that idea is completely absurd. Where, but but uh, you know, I, I I still it's the same thing. And you know, when we talked to that woman on roller skates today, yeah, you know what, what uh, she had said. We, there was a woman there who 
looked a little older than me, but maybe it was just she was looked in her late thirties, early forties. She was playing like a schoolgirl. Yeah, of course, it's because it's trauma. Extra sad. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and she was going around on roller skates and dressed in eighties, and she, you know, was very nice and talked to us. And and the 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 um uh, uh the way she talked, the the um not optimism um. Just how happy she was when she was saying this. And the sincerity, that's the word I'm looking for. The sincerity with which she said, because a question we asked a lot of these people, because 90% of them aren't getting paid. Right. So, like, mm. we, we both took time off our jobs, you know, to, to come down here was, so do you work? Did you have to come? And a lot of people, yeah, I told them I wasn't going to be at work for a month. And she said, you know, I could have been making some money, but I, you know, I thought to myself... Am I going to tell my grandchildren that I didn't go to the set of Return to Newcomb High? And, like, completely, like, am I going to tell my children I didn't go to meet Jesus? Yeah, or, you yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I wasn't there. It just like, makes us all feel like retards. Yeah. Because like, she says it. it, it and, and, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, I still there's still that part of me where it's like. I guarantee you your grandkids won't give a shit. Exactly. You know, <laughs> I guarantee like, it. But, man, and it was so sweet. Like, yeah, I mean yeah, that. It was. was totally. There was. No irony, no, just complete sincerity. And man, she's talking about telling her grandkids. We talked to a lot of people who were just like anything for Lloyd. With scary Mansonite devotion where yeah. I, I legitimately feel that if Lloyd wanted to go to the Manson path he or, or you know, or the Kool-Aid path, could have done it. You know, yeah. either one of those. He could have yeah. been Jim Jones. He could have been Manson. And then you wonder like, well, how how does he get that? And and we, we've talked about a lot of the, the upsides of it, but... S- being able to spend an entire day with him and his set mm-hmm. and watching him go up to individuals and just ask them simple questions or even mentor them, kind of go up to them and be like, Hey, that equipment is sacred. Yeah. Don't, don't put that near food. You don't want to put coffee near that. This is a real film set. We're trying to actually make a movie. There shouldn't be anybody who thinks that coffee is cool near a camera, yeah. but he's like, you know, and, and he'll yell at people and he'll call yeah. them stupid, but he also has a total heart for all these people. And one of the guys who's been around for a while was just like, you know, the downside, the curse of course, is that like, he can't be a mentor to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah this yeah. is impossible. No. <clears throat> and, and, and it's not, that comes from him because the other thing, so initially through necessity, people transfer what their job is on a trauma film all the time. When we say that 90% of the people are working for free, the way it is, is really, and um, we'll, we'll talk about the way the set is now compared to the, in the past, but in the past, especially since the advent of the internet, he's been finding these trauma fans and they will come literally from all over the world. Yeah, like I said, Iceland. Yeah, to to live on his set. And so right now, all of the people for this movie are living in an abandoned funeral home that used to be owned by the mafia. Yeah. There's... there's Some dude got a spider bite while sleeping and had to be rushed to the hospital. Yeah, like that's how they're all living. And most of them are living there for completely for free. So... What he does, as he said in the past, he'll get like 40 of these kids knowing that 20 of them are going to be kicked off the set for drugs, drunkenness, violence, you know, yeah. all, the, all this other stuff. And then he, the, the other half or the other third will eventually rise up to other positions. So we met a kid who started there as this, as an extra, um, you know, as an actor person, as they call the yes. extras in trauma speak. Because they don't want to demean them. Yeah, they don't want to demean them. They call them actor persons. He started off there and they were like, you're, you're doing pretty good. And they gave him to the sound department. Now they have a really uh, on the ball professional sound guy who is extremely nice to everyone. He's got, you know, his own equipment, really good stuff, very friendly, but extremely professional. Yes. Someone who's done, you know, actual movies. Yeah. Um, and they gave him this kid and we were, we, we had an interview with him. He's like, Oh, it's great. Like I'm like his assistant and he's, he's so cool. And he's teaching me all of this stuff. And I was kind of wanted to make movies and I worked in my friend's movies and I'm learning all of this stuff about audio and that happens on set. It, you know, for the most part, you see these people who are actually, it's like their film school. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, and I think that's really cool. And I'm, that comes I'm, from that. I'm incredibly endeared to, to misfitty people finding purpose and finding uh, a hand in something productive ultimately, even if it's to make a story about a mutant duck that gets raped by a... Yeah, no, that does the raping, I believe. Or whatever it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I love that. And, you know, like I... I uh, you know, I, I've always sort of felt like my films and, and, and the people that, that I get to work with 
are we I feel like we're a band of misfits yeah. getting something productive done. And right. I, I I always have viewed Troma as this pirate ship yeah. that, that, that with Lloyd at the helm. And there's something there is something romantic and cool about it. And I think that's what let me tell you something. That kid that you're talking about, if Lloyd was like, Hey, I need someone's mouth to shit in, he he would have dropped Yeah. Yeah. He, he would have gotten it. on his back and said, Here, boss. I <laughs> yeah. mean it's he was it's like, a little anything. freaky. Yeah. And and you wonder then what is it that inspires the the fanaticism and it's it's not just hey you showed me I can do something but man he really felt like and 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 correctly so I'm here I'm learning a trade like this is a real sound guy and this yeah. guy is taking interest in my life and it also goes back to the time when people didn't go to film school you know and, yeah. and there's still tons of people who rightly so laugh at film school people because it's like. Yeah, I didn't really have a job, and I worked under someone to learn audio, to learn how to be a grip, to do this, and then I know how to do this in my bones now, 10 years later, and I'm going to laugh at you when you come on my set because right. you've gone to film school. But none of these kids could have afforded film school anyway. Yeah. So there's something awesome about being able to be like, well, yeah, but we are making a movie. Well, and it's the, it's their film school, and they yeah. get to, you yeah. know, the other thing a lot of them said is like, I've never been on the set of a real movie, and... um. You know, kind of moving forward, what we were saying is that so the the trauma sets have these really infamous reputations yes. of I mean the shitting in the bag and eating the cheese sandwiches, yes, but uh, just I mean their sets end up looking like third world countries. So Frankie and I are getting ready for this, you know, and it was like, man, I could have probably done this better when I was eighteen, but let's yeah, go, that's you how know, I felt. Yeah, 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 like we'll we'll get into it. It is. So much more professional than any of the other sets, and granted, our access to the other sets have been in their making of documentaries that they've done, and yeah. and people we've known who've been on the set. They're smaller crews. Uh, the the um, DP they're using this time has done Hollywood movies. Yeah. Um, the sound guy's a complete professional. There's not a ton of people there, but it was calm. It was not the frenetic pace that we're no. used to seeing on these making of documentaries. I don't know if it had to do with the, the fact that they were shooting digital for the first time. Yeah. Uh, that might have been it. Um, but I didn't think that that was – because they still were, were kind of uh, bogged down by the size of the camera and the fact that they were carrying around monitors and tents yeah. everywhere. So there were just was kind of a professional uh, – but every time uh, – you know, we kept talking to people and saying like, you know, things feel fine. This yeah. feels like an efficient, uh, focused – uh, film set and they were like well yesterday uh, three people got fired for being violent yeah and I was like maybe I missed the bad stuff but I don't know this this looks pretty maybe you separated the wheat from the chaff but like I think that I think they did and that's always part of what he did but I mean it, it was kind of catered you know yeah. like people like there was actual lunch and food and yeah I mean it was it was a pretty organized unit I yeah. mean it was it was it was smaller than some big production but it definitely had that vibe to it everybody took their roles seriously yeah. if anybody was in the way of a camera or speaking while there was a mic on they right. shut up as soon as people told them to shut up mm -hmm. it was great and, and and most of all the thing that Jeff and I like leaped out of bed about this morning was we when we finally heard like hey like if you can be here immediately we're about to light a guy on fire yeah, now exactly. for, for anybody who's not <laughs> steeped in trauma culture um like every movie has a guy flailing on fire <laughs> uh it, starting with a toxic avenger where he actually leapt out of a, a window mm -hmm. um onto the street and uh, no he leapt out of the window and then on the street lights on fire right. and then runs away um they call it a full body burn. Mm -hmm. So that's when we hear the words full body burn, we know what they're talking about. Um, and it was amazing. And uh, we were right there for it. We got some amazing footage of it. I, I was really taken aback by the smell yeah. and by the heat that was coming off of this guy. We were right next to him. I, I was just like, he couldn't see, of course. He had a mask on. He was counting steps. I was afraid he was to run into somebody. Yeah, or he was running down the steps of this uh, old high school that's now in our, but it's this gigantic old classic looking high school front with huge steps. Yeah. Um, and all I could think of was like, wow, like <laughs> what about when they flip cars and like that kind of stuff? Um, but what we what we were really shocked by was um, talking about like their reputation versus what we witnessed today. We, I, you know, I always hear about like the locations are pissed off at trauma. You mm -hmm. didn't get the right permits. What do you mean? There's a naked guy with a small <laughs> dick running in Times Square, like all that kind of stuff. Large dick would be fine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, small dick. <laughs> we got standards in New York City, buddy. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're New Yorkers. Um, but he. Uh, uh, we, we were at that school that, and they had, they have free range over this whole school. I guess it's where like the, the high schoolers of Newcomb, Newcomb high, that, yeah. that is Newcomb high. Yeah. 
um, we we spoke to the woman who who manages the facility, and it it's a it's a arts and culture facility in Niagara Falls that was going to get demolished. Um, it used to be a high school, and and now it's the the Ni- Niagara Falls Cultural Center. Or something yeah, they like call that. it the they call it NAC. NAC. Yeah. And this morning when she told us to go to the NAC, I was like, the band? Is that a club? <laughs> what the? We don't know how to get to the band. Yeah, exactly. Um, to their hearts. <laughs> 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 but uh, uh, she was like. I, I I was like, is this just because the camera's on? But no, she was just like, they have been so professional. Yeah. And we would do this again in a heartbeat. This is good for our economy. I'm like, fucking trauma's good for your economy. <laughs> trauma ain't good for no one's economy. Yeah, trauma ain't good for Lloyd's economy. <laughs> He's got a gun in his mouth and all this stuff. Um, and she's like, you know, we uh, it's good for art. It's good for culture. It's good for the kids. The kids love it. The kids love Toxie, she told us. <laughs> but it was, I don't know, the whole thing really kind of shocked us. But it was, for me, it was like, you know, these guys make a movie every six years. I've been into these guys for probably about 15 years, mm-hmm. meaning I've only seen, I've only kind of heard about two or three movies that have gotten made since my interest in them. Mm-hmm. So to hear, like, you want to be on one of these sets was like, yeah. And Lloyd, like, as soon as we showed up, starts pointing around and being like, go talk to the mayor. Oh, he can never not be a director. No. No. Oh, he he shouted down the mayor of Niagara Falls for us, by the way. So we're, we're, we're sitting there, and someone points out to him, like, you know, the, the mayor is here. And he, he turns to me, he's like, Jeff, go talk to him. Go talk to the mayor. And then he's, he's walking away toward his car. It's obviously trying to... And we were going to blow it off. Yeah, we were kind of going to blow it off. And then Lloyd just yells, Mayor! And the guy now we have to. Now we, now we have to. So I am. I, I. I've gotten up about an hour and a half ago. I've seen a man set on fire. Now I am running down the sidewalk after the mayor of Niagara Falls, <laughs> and who turns around and like <clears throat> we're we 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 screech to a halt and are like, oh, your Majesty, you know, whatever. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just sucked his dick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just fell to my knees. Yeah, exactly. You That's started. What you do you started asking questions. <laughs> And he, it was funny because he, uh, man, what a politician. Yeah, yeah. He he gave us three sound bites, extremely thawed out, and about how happy we are yeah. here for, and for, and of course, Niagara Falls is no stranger to film work. I mean, really, this is how he was talking. You'll see it in the movie because it's hilarious. Uh, didn't you hear that they, that Lloyd was imposing a, uh, a strict no drugs or alcohol policy? Yes. So I... Through people I know who live in this area, who love trauma, and who, before I got here, I was getting kind of, you know, intel from these people, and just listening, and and I heard of some of the shit that went down. So, for instance, one of the guys who was an actor in it showed up to um, a place where one of my friends lives. It's basically a squat, you know, it's basically a, it it too is an old funeral home, not the one they're all staying in, where they have shows, and, uh, you know, metal shows, and punk shows, and uh, he told me, he was like, yeah, one of the guys showed up from the set and just got so annihilated. And then he sent me a video of this guy on his back, fully clothed, but pulling out his penis and pissing all over himself. Like, that's how messed up he was. And he's like, wow. yeah, I guess he went back to the set and did something and got fired. And then other people were telling me that they actually, where they're staying, got raided by the uh, by the police. And they had police dogs and everything. And... I have yet to confirm that. All I have is that the people who were there were sending emails to to people I know and like these fucking fascists. These these guys came and did this, and and I was told that the community didn't want them here. Um, so far, we have seen no evidence of this. We found out that the guy who pissed on himself then went back to the set and took a swing at the DP or something. I was just tossed off. Yeah, it was just immediately yeah. tossed off. Um, <clears throat> They're really, really safety conscious. Yes, very much so. And and yeah, L- Lloyd always says that on every set he has this this big sign that says uh, safety to humans. Safety to equipment. People's property. Yeah, yeah, safety to people's property. And then in smaller letters under it, it says and make a good film. And Lloyd always says, you'll notice that's third and in smaller letters. (laughs) So we, I, we came in here with this and I'm telling Frankie this on our, you know, eight hour drive down here is like, so I don't know what the fuck to expect. I don't know what it's, it's like they, I don't want to say they have them fooled because they've acted really nice, but man, the woman who owns the building, the mayor, all of them, we are so happy to have them here and we hope they come back and we hope so. I, I, you know, I, I got to ask around about that raid. But Lloyd has Lloyd does relationship management in a really strong and powerful yeah. way. Like I, you know, I remember when I was a trauma dance, he was constantly directing 
the people who worked for him to like go talk to like the manager of the venue and please thank them and ask mm-hmm. them try to get try to book next year too yeah. like let's already get next year and she you know the the woman that was in charge of the school was like uh, well I got a nice bouquet of flowers yep um, he knows how to how to thank and how to how to make sure people are acknowledged and we felt I mean for a couple of guys who really had no business because um, mm-hmm. we what we weren't doing anything contributing to finishing their film and right. so. Anybody who's made a film is like, anybody who's not here to get something on the screen needs to fuck off. Right. Uh, we really had no business there, and he couldn't have been more acknowledging, and, and uh, yeah. I mean, we, we show up, and, you know, I've got, I've got the sound gear, and Frankie's got the camera, and um, it's, like we said, this gigantic old high school, so they're up on the... What the you, steps. Yeah, and, on, the, on the steps. They're above us, and there's cops, and there's firemen, and so... There's a guy getting greased up with anti-flame retardant yeah. chemicals. And I see Lloyd up there, and Lloyd has always has been has never been anything but great to me every time I see him. And some people are like, well, because you're making a movie from him, and maybe that's maybe that's it. But he's been really nice. <laughs> that's kind of like when people are like, uh, uh, dogs uh, are just trying to survive. They don't actually like you or something yeah, right, like that. Right, it's right, kind of right. like, well, couldn't you read like base survivalist intentions into anybody yeah like he really if he was just like yeah you can shoot on my set and then never talk to you yeah. that would be too nice yeah 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 but yeah. to be like get in here and I, I want you to talk to this person he came from iceland talk to him well and it was it, so we're down here he's up there when we show up physically you know they're on these steps above us and there's more steps going I mean, on. how well does he know you really does he know what kind of audience you can tap right right does he know no. that you're gonna play to more than 50 people once yeah you know? exactly which is very likely that could be the case that could yeah. be the case he turns around he sees me and he's like get up here come up here and before i know it, the rest of this shoot which is you know they're one of their big stunts we're right next to Lloyd. We're going everywhere Lloyd is. Lloyd's like, you you need to meet this person. You should interview this person. And yeah, again, maybe it's because he wants to get the word of Chrome out there, but how much easier is our job at that point? Right. You know, we're, we're not like, oh yeah, get your shot somewhere else. Wherever Lloyd is standing, we're allowed to be. We have the best, uh, you know, uh, eyesight, you know, uh, camera angle for wherever we want to be. So... Frankly, A, I don't think that's the only reason. That may be a reason, but next of all, who cares? Yeah. Because he's 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 kind to us, and he's he's really nice. And the first thing he says to me is, <clears throat> when he recognizes yeah. me, he's like, oh, Frankie Frayn, talented filmmaker. Didn't yeah. ha- shit like that. Yeah. Didn't have to say that. Right. Which, you know, for a guy who picked up a camera because I saw his movies, right. kind of means a lot to me. Um, when do you expect to... So we're going to wrap up. Yeah. This was really fun. Yeah. Um, when do you expect to wrap the movie up. Like it, it could be another year or something like that. Cause people are going to listen to this and right, be like, right. well, I want to watch that movie. So it, this has been just this ongoing thing. And I catch as catch can. What I can tell you is that what we've picked up and we still have a whole nother day of shooting tomorrow is starting to feel like the meat of this movie. And I've been shooting for a while, but it's like, what might be the, the, the thread that everything else gets wrapped around. The only thing, the, the only thing I really want to film is whenever, when this film gets kicked off, uh, Newcomb High, the return to Newcomb High. I want to be there for a premiere because that's kind of a closing section. Yes. The only other thing I can imagine that I would want to shoot is if I don't feel there's enough interviews or if I feel the ones that I have are out of place because I have these Roger Corman, these Stanley interviews, and then the movie kind of took a different turn. So what I'm saying is I don't know. I mean, I don't, I want this to be done and I plan on doing a lot of editing and getting it very close to done within the next six months. Uh, that's what I want to do this fall, is I'm buying a better desktop because I've been editing on my laptop. I want to sit down and lock myself in there and figure out exactly what the fuck this movie is. Because it's a challenge, because Troma has documented themselves so much, exactly. and they've said, Lloyd's written like 17 books, and yeah. he said all the stuff, you know, it's just like, how do you say something about Troma that hasn't already been said? And and I I think that some of what we talked about mm-hmm. right now is is kind of the answer to that, which is how, how does it not just like you know affect the fans and how crazy are the fans, but how was how is it a greater conversation about filmmaking and art? Yeah, exactly, and that, and that and you know that's a callback to what I was saying before, where I initially thought of this as this art versus commerce about doing the thing you love, and sometimes that can still make you miserable, which in a way is what our movie is going to be about. What is we're moving forward? Where yeah, I've always thought about Lloyd that way, where it's like. He wants to make these movies, but in the end, you know, you have this image of him as, a, as I said, sometimes as a carnival barker meets Willie Loman with a gun in his mouth, you know, yeah. and he's kidding. Sometimes he calls himself a broken down old Jew, and he's like, "I'm Willie Loman going from from town to town with my stupid suitcase, and you know, I should take the pipe and like." But 
that's that's what I initially thought of it as, and I think in the end it is. It's like so you're you're doing this, and sometimes it doesn't it doesn't win you the Academy Award, man. Like that's you have to like what you do, and I think that's a big concept for both of us and a lot of the things we do where yes you need to do what feels honest to you and what you like but you should also know that there may be no pot of gold at the rainbow at the end of the rainbow so doing that thing has to be enough for you it really does you have to enjoy it because if you're doing it for another reason you're probably going to be sorely disappointed and i I think that goes for a lot of different kinds of artists we know you know? And and you're gonna get more of that than you can stand in the movie that we make today. I, yeah. I was t- <laughs> Lloyd was talking to that. There was a guy who owns monster trucks <laughs> and, and, that they somehow serendipitously met, who who offered some of his equipment and 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 elected himself as a stunt driver. And they kind of used him, and he he knew a few locations. And uh, he he was he's looking to get into stunt driving now as a career. And he's like, I'm really hoping that that Lloyd and Pat Lloyd's uh, wife hook me up. And I was listening to him talk to Lloyd about it, and Lloyd was like, well, you know, I am very loyal, and you need to know that. I'm very loyal, but do not quit your day job. Yeah. And so uh, so the movie we make is going to be a lot about not quitting your day job. Yeah. And how that kind of plays into it. This was a lot of fun. We should do this again. Absolutely. As we make the movie, too, actually. Yeah, it might yeah. be kind of fun to talk more about this. But uh, Jeff Terrilli, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and um, when he finishes that movie, uh, you got to watch it. So. <laughs> Bye. Bye. What's going on? Uh, we've oftentimes uh, had films large and small here, but it's always uh, exciting to see a creative independent production uh, like this, and especially using Niagara Arts and Cultural Center, which is uh, really a sort of bright cultural light in the center of the city. So how has it ha- been having trauma here in the city thus far? Has it been all right? Has it been... Oh yeah, it's been, I've heard from the people here at Niagara Arts and Cultural uh, Center that uh, uh, the, the group has been very, very easy to work with, and uh, you know, you're welcome back anytime. Is what our message would be to them. We had a typical of the fascinating uh, turn of events. We had somebody fill our actor's minivan with the diesel fuel, so uh, uh, it broke down in the middle of uh, nowhere at four in the morning. All the stars in the minivan. Only the trauma team can come up with such unbelievable action.